your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture With Stick Around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around The podcast that's very highly educated We know words, we have the best words Brought to you by Trump University. You can go to Trump University and learn all those words. I've heard. <laughs> so that's kind of awaiting a. Yeah, a no, they're, 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 no, they don't have a tagline. You know, they're, they're not oh, that right. good with words. <laughs> um, I've heard that the first semester concentrates on the word lubricious. Uh, that's what I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Johnson is a uh, honors scholar. I'm, I'm an uh, alumni. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. How was the Trump University, Michael? Recommended? I was Trump University. Or have you just got an honorary degree? It was an experience. I know all the best (laughs) words. I know, um, well, I know some other things that I'm not going to go into. (laughs) Let's not incriminate ourselves, Michael. Exactly, yeah. Excellent. Right, well, we're here for um, Films episode 19, I believe it is. So this is closest to 20. Uh, I'm here with Mr. Michael Johnson. Hello. Mr. Alex Wayne. Yo. And film expert, Mr. David Peeling. <laughs> Howdy. <laughs> the only one getting a title this episode. How are we all? Uh, yeah, good. I've, uh, I've seen a lot of new releases as usual. Uh, I'm going to talk in depth about two of them but and mention another one very briefly. Okay. Sounds exciting. Dave, have you been watching much? Uh, no. <laughs> same, same. <laughs> I've been to the cinema a grand total of once since the last episode, which is a long time ago. I, I hear you've been on an American... Well, I, I've seen that you've been on an American tour, Dave. Where, yeah, where did you go exactly? Yeah. I went to um, You seem to Boston. go literally everywhere. Yeah, I went to Boston, Massachusetts, then uh, Las Vegas then um, Dallas, San Antonio and Austin, Texas and then New York Right, okay, that sounds amazing um, <laughs> Yeah, because you're right Didn't do, have do much ha- time for films <laughs> though. Uh, Do you have any money left? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you see as a scholar of Chump University I just got the Mexicans to pay for it Oh, of course, yeah, of course, yeah. No, no problems there <laughs> Shortly before building a massive wall Yeah <laughs> With their own money. <laughs> Jesus Christ, this is lower than Mugabe, this, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> There's a certain honesty to Robert Mugabe, you know. <laughs> genocide. Honest wow. genocide. Yeah. Yeah. Christ, the next thing you know, we'll be being sponsored by that uh, uh, Filipino president who's trying to murder everybody. Duterte <laughs> Harry. Oh, right, Jesus. Rodrigo <laughs> Duterte. <Yeah. laughs> Is that his nickname, to Tertiary? It is, yeah, yeah, his actual nickname. I like it. Brilliant. Has he come yeah. up with it himself? Quite possibly, I don't know. <laughs> so if, I, if he did, I'm not going to argue with him over it. No, no. <laughs> yep. But yeah, good, good, good work. Yeah, nice, thank you. Please keep leaving. <laughs> really good nickname. To A man who's, uh, who's... One of his few attempts at diplomacy since being elected was to call Obama a son of a whore. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Brilliant. I'm just waiting for Nigel Farage to turn up at one of his rallies. <laughs> oh dear. Right, well, I suppose yeah. we should get started with some film content. Oh, uh, yeah. 
Um, let's let's start with Al in Stockton. Right. Okay. Since I'm gonna, got so much. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll see how in depth I get. But I'm going to start with um, a modern western film, um, which I'm going to say from the off, I really really enjoyed. Uh, came out last month. Um, it's called Hello High Water, uh, directed by David Mackenzie, who people may know from as director of Startup, uh, the Jack O'Connell film. Uh, if you don't. No biggie. It was uh, a script that was the winner of the uh, 2012 Blacklist Award, which means it was a uh, film that wasn't picked up. It stars Chris Pine, who people probably better know from the Star Trek reboots. Ben Foster, who I don't know what you'll know him from, but he seems to have been in a lot of films. And uh, Jeff Bridges, who um, everyone knows from, from various places. What was that, sorry? A hero. I just said who is a hero, yeah. Oh, right, yeah, of course, yeah. It's a, uh, probably True Grit and Big Lebowski most prominently. The plot focuses on a pair of bank robbers who are brothers. One of them's a hardened criminal, um, and the other is a, a clean shirt, you know, um, the good boy of the family. But he's the one who's orchestrating this. Uh, they need money in order to... Do you, you say clean shirt, like in Peep Show? <laughs> well, I just meant. Hey, uh, look at look at clean shirt. Well, you know he's uh, you know, he's, he's the good boy of the family. You know <laughs> that's Chris Pine. Anyway, though, uh, they need money to in order to keep hold of their mother's land, which they've recently discovered has a huge oil uh, depository, if that's the right terminology. Um, and rather poetically, they're deciding that they're going to rob some banks, but they're only going to rob the bank who they owe the money to, and they're going to be smart about it. They're only going to rob very small bank branches in rural Texas, taking only small dollar bills uh, in an effort to pay off the bank so that they'll then keep the land. Um, Jeff Bridges is the sheriff who's hot on their tail. Um, in classic Jeff Bridges form, basically, pretty much uh, reenacting this character from True Grit, albeit slightly more savoury. Um, this is an excellent, excellent uh, modern western that... Better than most films of recent times is perfectly paced. Um, not a second is wasted. This I think it, it clocks in at just under two hours, but you could have been convinced it was an hour and a half. Um, there's no there's no unnecessary exposition. There's just really really good storytelling. Um, every every scene has a purpose, but it's not leading you by the hand. It's adult filmmaking, and um, it has scenes of violence which are affecting. Uh, not so much in the sense that they're ultra gory or uh, particularly vicious, but just in the sense that because they aren't happening every second, they have an impact. Uh, ben Foster is particularly good, I thought, as the um, slightly maniacal older brother and uh, constant convict. But the entire film, the look of it reminded me quite a lot of No Country for Old Men. It's kind of that sparse kind of Texan sort of uh, outback almost. And... Um, Chris Pine is actually surprisingly good. I've not, I haven't been particularly a fan of his, um, but he's he's convi- on convincing form. I mean, Jeff Bridges is just doing the best Jeff Bridges, which is all you want really—a sort of grizzled old cowboy type who's you know just chew you up and spit you out. But it's it was an absolute pleasure from start to finish. Um, it's adult storytelling. It's a western in the modern day, which I always think is a, has been a great kind of. Pick up of the genre, not just be going back to cowboys and Indians. And it really, um, it just reminded me of all the best Westerns that have come out in recent years. Um, when you were in Texas, Dave, this is a question for you, did you mm-hmm. actually go out into any of the countryside? Say, no country for old man 
uh, old men's soul terrain. You know, I really hoped and presumed that all of Texas was no country for old men, you know, Rio <laughs> Grande, cowboys. And um, it turns out that I was no, never closer than a kind of five hour drive away, being as I was in deepest central Texas. <laughs> right. That's so no, disa- everywhere I was was disappointingly lush and green. Right. Okay. Well, <laughs> that certainly isn't portrayed in this film. This film is, you know, it's barren, it's desert like, all these towns are kind of like, they're one street, uh, they've got a single small dusty bank. Um and frankly, that's the Texas I want to see on film. I'm not interested necessarily in the Texas with obscenely large things in the shape of Texas. <laughs> Although I am interested in having something like that bought for me, if anyone goes in future. Hint, hint. <laughs> yeah. um, the te- you're not interested in the Texas of uh, eight-tiered hamburgers? Um, not so much recently. Past Alex Wayne definitely would have been. Um, no, anyway, this is... Like I said, I'm rambling a bit now, but um, this is... An excellent film. Really enjoyed it. Um, it's a, it's an adult thriller uh, with convincing performances, a convincing narrative, and a certain poetry to it, which is not pretentious in the slightest. Um, just good, excellent filmmaking. Did I know nobody else has seen this? But did anyone hear about it or have thoughts on that? I really wanted to. I really want to see this, and I missed it. I can't remember why. Probably because I had to do planning instead of something. But um, yeah, I really wanted to go see this. This is one of the ones, one of the few films that's come out, and there's been a lot of. There's been a lot of times where I've looked at the listings and been like, nothing's really inspired me. But this is the yeah. one film that I did really want to go and see. But I think I've missed it now. I don't think it's on, so I'll have to wait till it comes out. But yeah, it's just it's, not here it's just, anyway. Yeah, it's just really punchy. It's um, I mean, there is a, a thin veneer of um, social commentary in it, and I, I think um, the whole fact that you know. The bank is trying to rob this land off them. It's due to inheritance taxes because the the mother died, um, mm. and you know, as I said, it feels like almost poetic justice that they are robbing this only this bank, right. um, and it makes a lot of sense. And it's, um, I mean, the plan is obviously desperate, and they feel like outlaws. But it's, I don't know, you are very much on their side, despite the fact that things obviously don't go quite to plan. Cool. Yeah, you've you've definitely made me even more because I, I didn't know that much about it, but I love Jeff Bridges and I like westerns. It, well, it, yeah, it's, it's it's a pun. As I said, it, it probably its closest comparison is No Country. I mean, it doesn't yeah. it, it doesn't have that kind of um, that kind of philosophical undertone that No Country has, and it's not as good a film. But it's mm-hmm. it's, it's an extremely well made taut thriller. Um, cool. And if you like westerns, it'll be right up your street. I, I mean, I didn't go to see it with Michael, uh, but I think you would have very, very much enjoyed it had you gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I've seen the trailer for it. It looked um, promising, but I haven't seen it, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, it's always always a pleasure to watch uh, Jeff Bridges on screen anyway. I mean, he he's, sure he's, is. his voice in nearly all of his most recent films is... Um, un- no, I can't say that word, which is ironic. Um, <laughs> unlistenable at times. Um, you know, he jar- he sort of garbles his words, but that's kind of part of this Jeff Bridges aura. And he, he really is on fine form, but it wouldn't entirely surprise me if he gets some kind of a few nominations for acting in this. We'll see, anyway. I don't have too much more to say on it than that, um, but it's heartily recommended. Like, I think it's passed a lot of people by. And I think it'll be overlooked by a lot more people, but um, highly recommended. Okay, cool. Excellent. I'm glad you enjoyed it. 
Right, moving from that then, let's go to, uh, let's stay in Stockton and go to Michael. <clears throat> okay, thank you. Um, first film I'm going to talk about is um, a film from 2000 called Songs from the Second Floor, which is a Swedish film by the Swedish director Roy Anderson. Uh, it's the first film in what would come to be known as his Living Trilogy, um, and at the time was also his first film since 1975. Um, he's notable for having only released six films across more than four decades, um, but at the same time having become a huge name in Swedish cinema uh, over over the course of those films. Um, it's certainly a very unique film, uh, unlike anything else that I've seen, really. Um, it consists of a series of overlapping, interlocking vignettes that are usually interpreted as being comedic in nature. Um, and I have to say... From what I'd heard previously, and it's been it's been confirmed by by this film when I've seen it, is that Scandinavian comedy is certainly a pretty dark brew, um, quite difficult um, and very singular. Uh, in stark contrast to things like the Hygge movement from Denmark that has reached British shores this winter and seems to be becoming a trend. That sort of thing emphasises comfort and warmth. I would say the comedy in this film is very much the complete opposite of that. Uh, the film has a very apocalyptic feel. It centres on a main character who's who appears in a lot of the different sections of the film who has burned down his business for insurance reasons. Um, and also the, the city that the film's set in, which goes unnamed, um, is blighted by a massive traffic jam that lasts throughout the, the course of the film that nobody is able to explain. So it's a very strange, otherworldly feel. Um, the film often takes really sharp turns of direction, but not a vibe. That's pretty constant throughout. And I, I would say that the, the style of presentation, which is very particular, um, it's not surprising to find out that Anderson has a long background in advertising and making films for for advertising. Um, I think you can you can tell that that ties into the way that this, this film's presented and that the subsequent films in the trilogy have been as well. Uh, from what I understand, this is the only f film of the trilogy that I've seen, but I'll I'll be watching the other two. Um, certainly, very intriguing after seeing this one. But I understand they're all very similar stylistically. Uh, the film really captures, uh, coming out as it did in two thousand, a millennial angst, which I think is quite ironic in hindsight, given that I would say the dismay that anyone felt about um, the tumult of moving into a new millennium is probably pales in comparison to what we've been experiencing in 2016. Um, but it's, I mean, all at once it's a humorous film, but it's also regularly disturbing. It's really a pretty grotesque satire. And in the epicentre of the film, it really slips into a mournful sinkhole as well, which is scored by some quite stirring organ music. Um, so there are a lot of different feels and emotions going on in this film. It's, I would say it's a deeply philosophical and ideological film, which is vital to the signature style that Anderson developed for the first time here and has gone on to continue to do so subsequently. Um, the settings, the housing, um, the buildings that you see in the film, I would say they're all very dismal and they look dirty and badly aged and it portrays a, a bleak, dying society that's in a deep decline. And I would say from... From the way I've seen um, Soviet society depicted in a lot of culture, I would compare it to that, which I think is quite interesting because the way I interpreted this film was as a razor-sharp critique of capitalist society and how we live in the modern era. Um, the way that there seems to be a lack of direction in a way, 
um, especially against a backdrop where religion has declined itself, and religion's definitely a theme that's touched upon heavily in this film. Uh, but it's nothing if not surreal, very dreamlike, and packed with absurdist imagery. Um, often the, um, the scenes are more like art installations, I would say, than anything, especially one in an airport in particular that struck me that way, and it's just truly bizarre at times. Um, and there's a really unsettling tension throughout a lot of it, despite the absurd comic elements, uh, whether you're sort of hooked waiting to see what the next line of dialogue is, or whether an old man who's just vomited on a bar is going to do it again, just to use one example. Um, but it's it's certainly an unforgettable film. I'm not I'm not gonna I wouldn't go out and say that um, I thought it was necessarily amazing. I think it's something I'd have to watch again. But you won't forget this if you see it, and um, it's certainly a very interesting style of filmmaking. So yeah, certainly left a mark on me. I think immediately the thing that I was thinking of was that never ending. Um... <laughs> never ending car jam you were talking about mm-hmm. traffic jam that just I could imagine I could imagine that and I like the idea of that happening throughout a film do you see the same drivers set in the same cars um, not particularly but you do see people so there are some sort of recurring elements of the same characters popping up around that part of the film yeah um, which is kind of that's kind of the way it, way it works throughout characters float in and out of the film and recur but then some others only appear once and it might be a very notable scene that you certainly come out remembering, but you, that's the only scene you see them in. It's um, it's difficult to describe in a way because I can't really think of another film that's um, that's similar. But I almost felt like the really the really dark satirical elements of it. It's it's completely different, but it reminded me of some of Chris Morris's stuff in a way, mm. um, but from a very sort of Scandinavian standpoint. This is making me feel a bit like Middlesbrough once about an hour ago. <laughs> um, you know, constant traffic jam, uh, absurdist things happening just randomly, people <laughs> vomiting everywhere. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, I haven't seen this, evidently. Um, has anyone else? I've not. I've not even heard of it, but it sounds no, neither very intriguing. It's yeah. quite notable. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to say. Cool. And um, yeah, I've been watching quite a lot of foreign films recently, so I'd quite like to watch this one definitely I've watched um, I believe Force Majeure's Swedish isn't it it is yeah, yeah it is I think yeah Yeah, and I really enjoyed that yeah so, Swiss. Know, despite, <laughs> despite the fact uh, I actually hate the Swedes I don't <laughs> everyone always asks whether I speak Swedish still um, yeah. make quite good films so well done Swedes maybe if you answered the question yeah, maybe you should just learn. Uh, no, I do not speak Swedish. Fuck off in Swedish. <laughs> just say but you'd be you'd be amazed. Um, I met a guy. One of my lecturers at uni was it was is a Swedish guy, but he's he's, he's basically got like a parallel universe story to me, where he moved to England when he was eight, <laughs> except he's Swedish, uh, and he says he went back to Sweden, uh, like, and he said about all the fact that he could speak the language perfectly but he was a little bit lost on some of the context of some of the jokes and stuff because he hadn't been there for so long and that's exactly how I feel whenever I go back to Switzerland but he uh, made the joke that people always ask him whether he speaks Swiss uh, and I was like, are you serious? <laughs> is, <laughs> people is people have just got you, major issues It's the reason that you don't get the jokes when you go back home because you two are both going back to the wrong countries <laughs> <laughs> Maybe <laughs> Quite possibly but uh, yeah, I had quite a funny chat with him because it was quite, quite amusing. But anyway, um, that sounds really interesting. It's always interesting, in Michael, because uh, I never know what you're going to come up with. So because everyone else kind of mentions in the WhatsApp what's going what's going to be happening, but 
Remind us of the name. Like to surprise you. What? Remind us of the name of the film. Songs from the Second Floor. Yeah. See, I would read write it off, read it off his notes that I can see, but he writes them in code. <laughs> like he doesn't want me to spoil it. I'm not even joking. It just um, says no, it just says SFTSF. <laughs> wow. It's like he's playing a memory game with himself, just like to try and see if he can remember. <laughs> I like it. Shorthand. Do you have this film, by the way, or did you see it online? Or no, I own the film. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Might borrow that. Cool. Right. Well, we'll. See. We'll head down to London now for uh, Mr. David Peeling. What have you got for us this week? Thank you very much. This month. Um, so uh, this time I'm going to be talking about The Girl on the Train. Not the um, 2009 film, also known as uh, La Fille du uh, Air, uh, the French film, or the um, 2013 independent thriller The Girl on the Train, uh, nor the 19, <laughs> 1910 operetta uh, the <laughs> Die Gescheiden Deiner Frau. Uh, I'm going to be talking, in fact, about the 2016 thriller based on Paula Hawkins' 2015 novel. I did swear that this had come out like three years ago, so I must be thinking of the 2013 <laughs> one. <laughs> you're, not, you're not thinking of the operetta. <laughs> I don't Confusing. Think so. No. Okay. I remember a picture of like a girl sat on a train looking out a window, and I think it was a Chinese girl. I think. And I, well, yeah, I think that must be the one. As, that came as I said, I, I didn't see that one, so I don't know. <laughs> Me neither. Sort of the poster. Yeah. Maybe that's another one. Well, this one stars the famously not Chinese Emily Blunt. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's the main thing she trains for. That's, that's true. As um, as the main character Rachel Watson, um, Justin Theroux stars as her ex-husband. Uh, the film also features. Um, Hayley Bennett, just uh, Luke Evans, Alison Janney, and uh, Edgar Ramirez, and a little cameo from Lisa Kudrow. Um, it follows the story of a uh, of uh, Rachel, who's a divorcee, who gets the train every morning from her sleepy town in New York State into New York City, and from the window of the train. Um, looks in on the house that she used to live in and the uh, the house next door to that as well. Um, as I say, the film is based on the 2015 novel, which was um, set in London uh, and has been Americanized so that um, so that people can understand it because obviously that's <laughs> really quite a complicated film. Um, <laughs> I still think the best example of that, by the way, was the Harry Potter books. Um, the publishers didn't think that America could cope with the word philosopher, so change it to sorcerer. <laughs> How massively patronised would you be if you were American? Anyway, sorry, carry on. <laughs> um, yes, so um, after after, um, after Rachel and Tom's uh, marriage, Rachel's um, Rachel's life starts increasingly um, getting going downhill and um she's she uh, her life ends up in a bit of a downward spiral and um in addition to that her husband ends up marrying her former best friend and she's forced to move out of the house that she she lived in that she helped buy and and furnished and so on the film tells uh the, the story of uh, a missing woman f- who disappears from the house next door to the one that Rachel used to live in. 
and after an episode in which Rachel can't recall the events of the night before, um, she ends up as a suspect in a murder investigation. So it's it's quite easy to want to compare this to um, Gone Girl, which was a another adaptation of a bestseller novel that is also a, uh, a kind of mystery thriller that features a um, a female lead. And this this film I found did not stand up to um, did didn't stand up to Gone Girl. Um, the girl on the train seemed to rely an awful lot on um, twists where it could have done with some more time developing characters or um, a story. And whilst Emily Blunt is very good in, in her performance, it's her character isn't a likeable one. And the other characters in the movie... There are um, three women who all end up involved in this in in the kind of in the main uh, in the main storyline. Emily Blunt's character is is the only developed one, and she it performed quite well. But she is her character is an unlikable person. The other two are not developed nearly enough that you ever care for them. So in the end, you find yourself going, "Eh, I, I don't really care that that person's been kidnapped and murdered." It's not often that I find myself saying that, but this film made <laughs> this film made me think that, and I think that's an indictment. <laughs> um, there were there were lots of moments in it that seemed quite um, cliched, and a little bit, yeah, cliche is definitely the word. And so um, there is a, a moment, in, particularly at the end, where the um, the perpetrator gets their comeuppance, shall we say, that made me laugh. And which really wasn't intended to make people laugh. Um, there was another moment when a twist was revealed, and I'm doing the uh, inverted commas in the air, which I realise isn't being picked up on the podcast. Um, <laughs> if I, no, I tried. Yeah, <laughs> where um, where I found myself trying to ironically, under my breath make a surprised <gasps> noise, uh, which actually came out really quite loud and disturbed the people in the very front, uh, for which I <laughs> to apologise. But it was... It, it was... Um, I'd, I'd not read the book, and I was quite... I uh, It's one that I was... Um, I was half interested in reading, and I had been for a while. I've not got round to it. And then when I saw the film was coming out and um, knew I was going to be going to see it, I, I didn't bother reading the book, because I, I thought I would just see what the film was like. And I kind of worked it out anyway. Which is not a good sign in a in a mystery thriller that revolves entirely around its plot twists rather than the development of any interest in the audience in the film that's on the screen. Um, it's it's a perfectly okay movie, but I mean, when a film like Gone Girl has has been out so recently with a similar kind of theme, similar-ish kind of theme behind it. Um, from a similar background, that's really probably got to be your benchmark. And uh, unfortunately, despite Emily Blunt trying um, and generally succeeding in um, in a good performance, unfortunately, um, every other aspect lets it down. Um, so I, I probably wouldn't recommend this film to many people, unless unless you're a massive fan of the book 
and you, you all like looking at Emily Blunt's face, I guess. I don't know. I feel like <laughs> a, there's a very specific audience, and I'm, I'm afraid that I'm, I'm not in it. <laughs> okay. So I, I like that I, review. I, I was, yeah. That's the box quote. <laughs> I feel like there's a very specific audience, and I'm not in it. <laughs> I was quite interested in watching this, but... Um, I don't know what, what put me off especially. It's interesting what you're talking about, that kind of genre that you were talking about like with Gone Girl. I feel that possibly The Gift would be in that genre, kind of sub- suburban kind of thriller. Yeah. Um, yeah, Rebecca, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's, not a, uh, it's not an original concept or idea yeah. um, by any means. And um, unfortunately, it has nothing original to add to that either. I feel I feel that people a lot of people like those type of films especially because they feel a lot more relatable. And it feels yeah. that could happen to me, or theoretically. Um I've been told that I haven't seen it, so I, I couldn't give my full recommendation, but I've been told that there's a film called The Invitation, which is apparently a very, very good suburban thriller. I know it's available on Netflix, um I'm sure it's available from other sources as well. <laughs> but, um Yeah, it's a, it's a weird it's a weird genre, but I'm quite happy with it. I think it's definitely aimed at that kind of book, a kind of thriller book reading audience. Um, I know there's another adaptation of a Gilly, another Gillian Flynn novel called Dark Places coming out either later this year or next year, which is again in that same kind of fold. Mm. Um, yeah, so it mm, you, you haven't really sold it to me, but I suppose <laughs> that, <laughs> I wasn't intending on it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if you've got if you've got to go see something like this, uh, Gone Girl would definitely be my recommendation. Cool, cool. I enjoyed Gone Girl, so and this is one yeah, that Gone I was Girl, thinking about right. watching, but I heard mixed things about. So yeah, uh, just watch Gone Girl again, and, <laughs> and try and forget what you'd already seen. <laughs> okay, I kind of have forgotten. So there you go. In fairness, Perfect. I think some I think sometimes films like that, and I've read a convincing argument before that I agree with. Sometimes they're better when you know it's coming. So you can't you see the strings, and sometimes you can appreciate it in a completely different fashion. Yeah, but you'd prefer to do that on a rewatch, surely. Oh yeah, yeah, not not when you're actually <laughs> watching it. <laughs> yeah. Not just a guy walking out of the cinema in front of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah but, uh, if I th- if I remember right, doesn't Gone Girl almost does tell you before you're you know? Yeah, it's it about almost, halfway through, I think. Yeah, it kind of yeah. Um, and there are other films that have obviously done that, so I prefer to see it in the way that the the director intended me to watch it you see what I mean <laughs> absolutely yeah. absolutely right cool um, I believe we're around to me then I've just got one film I'm going to talk about Deepwater Horizon which I went to see yesterday in my only trip to the cinema since the end of last episode so because quite it well was timed. your birthday it was my birthday yesterday yes happy birthday and, uh, Clive I thought happy I would it. thanks thanks I thought you I would spend don't look a day older than planning. 37 <laughs> <laughs> Well, <laughs> people thought at work thought I was twenty three, so I took that pretty well. The kids <laughs> knocked a, knocked a good six years off my age. I bet if you ask the kids, they'll say you're like forty. It's like so. Oh old, yeah, yeah. No, it varies between like sixteen and sixty eight. <laughs> kids, kids just have no idea about age. It's quite hilarious. <laughs> it's amusing. So yeah, Deepwater Horizon. Um, I hadn't really heard about this, to be honest, until I think it was maybe the day before yesterday or something. It's about it's directed by Peter Berg, which I've just realised is the director of uh, Friday Night Lights, the film. Uh, also the director of, less brilliantly, Hancock. 
Um, <laughs> it stars Mark Wahlberg, Kurt Russell, John Malkovich, who's great in it, um, Gina Rodriguez, and Kate Hudson. It's the true story about the 2010 explosions and sort of general chaos on the rig, on the oil rig at Deepwater Horizon, which is an oil rig just off the Gulf of Mexico. I believe it's called a deep water rig um, and I believe it floats which not all rigs do or some connected to the ground I don't know anything about all rigs so I'm not sure but this, this one floats so it's kind of like That's a big quite boat quite the admission there <laughs> you know, Clive. you're not allowed to be deep sea uh, oil diving expert anymore then <laughs> Michael that's your job now cheers I've been waiting for this moment I do feel like I know more about rigs now than I did then but still <laughs> um, I like how you call them rigs like you're really very familiar with them I'll go, go with oil rig but I'm okay. <laughs> no, I've been working on the rigs mate it's like down pit but different but Australia <laughs> equally, da- equally dangerous <laughs> that was Yorkshire oh jeez very closely linked um, Mark Wahlberg plays Mike Williams. Um, he's an electrical engineer. He's your standard sort of all-American dude, as Mark Wahlberg tends to play. He plays him very well. Yeah, essentially, ba- basically the film sort of starts, this isn't a really a spoiler, but with BP, in all their infinite wisdom, deciding that they haven't got the budget to run a crucial test, so they're going to skip it. <laughs> Which inevi- inevitably was a terrible idea. Um, well done, BP. But I was reading up, actually, quite amusingly, uh, earlier, trying to figure out whether it was accurate or not, and all I could find was an article saying, BP claims film is incredibly inaccurate, which has led me to believe it's probably very accurate. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, they they decide to skip this test, and uh, everyone on the thing is, you know, is pretty sure that this test is pretty crucial and doesn't really believe what the BP guy's saying. He's claiming that the test... Then they, they run a different test, which comes up with bad results, but he claims, oh, that's because there's some sort of bladder in the pipe. Again, my oil rig knowledge is letting me down here. But <laughs> So he decides to do another test lower down to prove that he says if this other test lower down comes out fine, then uh, the whole pipe's fine, uh, which seems suspect to me, but, you know, again, not an oil rig expert, so I wasn't going to question him. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, the other test comes up fine, surprisingly. But as soon as they start digging shit, all all hell breaks loose. Stuff blows up. Uh, yeah, it's 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 very good. I actually really enjoyed this film, <laughs> despite sounding a bit sarcastic about it. And um, I went in expecting a thriller that I wasn't sure if it was going to be good or not. But I got exactly what I expected. It's, it's a thrilling kind of tense film that doesn't really do much else than that. But it does it really well I think and um, I think like the cinematography the music they use the there's lots of shots of the like the drilling under under the water like deep down which is quite effective I thought about like the stuff going on that the people can't actually see on the rig uh, which is pretty cool and um, yeah I, re- I really enjoyed it I don't really have tons to say on it cause it's not a film that you can have tons to say about but I thought that all the performances were good Wahlberg's always reliable as a kind of you know actiony guy doing actiony stuff in films he does that well. He does, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna throw an Oscar at him, but he's convincing in his actiony role. Um, and so is Gina Gina Rodriguez. John Malkovich plays a really good sort of shitty BP head guy. He's the guy who decides that the drill shouldn't be drilled, and he's got a very strange accent. Actually, I'm intrigued as to where it's from. Quite annoying. What does it sound like? Perfect for a bad guy. Um, I can't. It's like a. 
it's something. It's like South African in that it just seems like a weird amalgamation oh, of different yeah, things. Oh yeah, that, that's a good bad guy accent. That if <laughs> it's, it's a white not person South African, South African, you know that yeah. they're a bad guy if they're on a. Face. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just know that he's a bad guy just by the way he is, but <laughs> but he plays a very good bad guy, and you do hate him throughout the film. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's really good. It kind of captures the immenseness of this disaster and the the sort of. Just how terrible it is, really, and and captures like the atmosphere of probably being on a rig, and this very enclosed environment, and everything blown up, and you've kind of got nowhere to go, and how even you know the stuff that's getting blown onto the obviously the stuff that's being blown because the pipe screwed up essentially, and the pressure was too high. All this oil's just bursting onto the rig. Obviously, oil uh, pretty flammable, so not ideal. And then you can't even really jump into the water because all the water's kind of on fire, and yeah, it's just pretty crazy. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed this film. I thought it was really good. It kind of, it co- apparently it oversimplified the problems a little bit. But again, that was all based on things said by someone from BP. So I'm um, immediately <laughs> discrediting that. But yeah, I thought I, I thought it was really good. And I think it's it's a seven out of ten really good thriller type film where you're going to be entertained throughout, but it's not going to change your life and you're not going to come out of it going bloody hell that you know cinematography was mind blowing or. He really pushed the boundaries of cinema with that. Or, although the one thing I would say about it that was really good, um, it's not very. Doesn't seem. I haven't looked whether it is much CGI, but it doesn't seem like it. It feels very physical, which I really liked about it because I find it kind of annoying when they CGI things like this where it's actually real. You know, fair enough in Lord of the Rings where you're going to struggle to make a real orc. <laughs> but. <laughs> But when it's an actual rig, I quite like it to be kind of physical. And that's one of the things I loved about Fury Road. And although this is nowhere near as good as uh, Mad Max Fury Road, this is similar in its kind of physicality of the like explosions and blowing up and uh, people getting knocked around and things like that. So I think I think, that, co- I think that's a trend that's coming back. By the way, I think um, I've noticed it being kind of advertised with a lot of new films. They're always keen <laughs> to stress that you know we did this for real or you know minimal CGI. I think people got to the point where everything was just oversaturated in CGI and they just got bored of it and it just it looks shit. Mm-hmm. CGI needs to be better than it is so that we don't know it's CGI, basically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not going to age well, isn't it? Whereas stuff like this is no. going to age much better, I think, where it's not actually exactly. CGI. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I would, I would recommend watching it if you're, you know... A, if you, if you want to know a little bit more about the disaster, then I suppose you could watch it for that. Although you're probably better off just reading an article about it for that. But if you want to watch a sort of tense thriller and uh, film that captures a little bit if you know nothing about all rigs like I didn't uh, captures a little bit the <laughs> what it's like to be on one um, yeah I, I recommend it it was interesting and I'm glad I went to see it is anyone else interested in this or seen it um, I was interested but I've only got, I'm, as you'll hear later on I've seen a lot of films this month yeah um, and I wouldn't say that many of them have been particularly great, but there's been right. a lot that's interested me. And it was on my list, but I just didn't get around to it. And I think I probably missed the boat now. Um, I don't know. I don't know when it came out, to be honest, but it was still on. I saw it at the Odeon, But I just couldn't decide whether it, I thought it was a good concept for a film. But um, <laughs> obviously, you've, as you've said, Clive, you thought it was solid, uh, enjoyable. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I just, I just couldn't decide what, from seeing the trailers and that sort of thing. Um, okay. But yeah. Now, I think it does well in converting the thing that it's about to film, <laughs> if you yeah. know what I mean. I think it makes as yeah, good a yeah. film out of it as it probably could have. So that's okay, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's 
a solid film that's not pushing any boundaries or anything. So if you, if you're into if that's what you're after, then yeah, you're probably not going to enjoy it. But I think if you want to go to you know watch something action packed on a big screen, then this is that has a little bit more to it than just <laughs> yeah. just being action packed. Then this is this comes recommended. But you know, yeah, it's just cool. essentially a solid action film about with the message that leaving huge corporations in charge of dangerous things is generally a bad idea. But yeah. <laughs> as I found out when I worked in a mental hospital. But <laughs> that's, an, that's another story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <cool>. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's uh, troubling. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna leave we're gonna leave that there. <laughs> Let's just say, uh, yeah, running a mental institution for profit is a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so let's go back to Al. You've got two, haven't you? Yeah, I've got. Well, I, I've got. I've got two proper ones. I'm going to talk about. I'm going to have one little one. Um, I'm going to go with the little one in between now. I'm not going to talk very much on this. I'm purely bringing it up because it's a film, a third film, and a series of films that I really want to like but find it impossible because they're pretty terrible. Um, I'm going to talk about um, The Purge election year. Um, if anyone isn't aware of the concept, The Purge revolves in a around a concept in a near future in which for one night of the year, 12 hours, everything is legal. Murder, rape, looting, whatever. Um, Even with that, I'm finding it hard to believe that it can be any more nightmarish than the actual election years, mate. <laughs> yeah, that's quite possible. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, the focus mainly focus focus. Uh, the film mainly focuses on the murder element and doesn't seem to delve into what could be other nastier parts of it. But um, yeah, when I, when I first heard about the, the original Purge film, I thought something about me just loved that concept. I just thought that is pure B B-mov- movie horror thriller. That sounds like it could be a great film, great political satire, which seems more and more prescient. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's one of Donald Trump's key policy points. Um, it's, I mean, they're not good. They're not good, these films. But yet I can't stop myself watching them. <laughs> There's something about the concept that just draws me in. I don't know if anyone else is like this. Um, I want it to be that kind of excellent, moody, kind of visceral... Uh, political satire action film that it really should be but if anything it kind of has those slight delusions of grandeur but then don't pull the trigger what it ends up being is just a B-movie horror film which isn't scary and doesn't have enough weight behind it to make any convincing political points Um, I feel that I genuinely feel in modern times this is one of the great failed concepts you know something that were it given to I don't know um, a top director, you know, and a great screenwriter, and a studio who's willing to back it with money and ambition, you know, I, I I could love these films. As it happens, they are a source of continual disappointment. Yet if there's a fourth one, I'll probably go and see it. <laughs> um, so you're ev- you're everything that's wrong with today's cinema. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I, I it's, it's it's a rare film series like that for me. Like I'm. Normally, once I've been stung once, I won't go back. But um, I mean, they're not absolutely dreadful. I think possibly I'm overselling that. I certainly think the first one is a passable film. Um, but yeah, has anyone seen any of the Bird films? No. No, it, is, it just no. sounded a bit rubbish to me. The concept. So yeah. Like, yeah. 
That's yeah, I like. I love, I, mean, I love how the I love how it says um, that all uh, all crime, including murder, is legal, which is, just seems a bit on the nose. For me. <laughs> <laughs> like, like surely, if it's a crime, it's is it not obvious? Like on yeah. the nose. <laughs> Well, th- that's part of the problem. Um, I don't know. I just like the idea because I know it's a cheesy idea, but I kind of I love things like that when they're done well. Like um, something like the original Escape from New York is a great cheeseball kind of satire sort of action film. Um, the less said about Escape from LA, the better. But um, yeah, great missed opportunity on this one. Um, I've heard it described the director and. Um, I think he described himself, self-described auteur of the film series, uh, James DeMonico, which is a ridiculous name. Um, um, described the first one as an independent film that became a horror, horror phenomenon, which I think is a load of bull, really. Um, anyway, yeah, I mean, I have no, nothing more to say on it. Um, okay. It's an example of something I greatly wanted to like and still continue to want to like, but I can't. <laughs> and it's not absolutely awful. It's just awful. Is that the uh, quote to put on the box? Uh, no. <laughs> it's all right. The, 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 no, the quote going on the box is, this is crap, but I can't stop watching. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone have a film like that, though? Or like a film series where you know it's... It doesn't have to be crap, maybe, but you know it's not like good, but you, you kind of watch them anyway. Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Um, yeah, I sort of agree with you there, Dave. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's not a series, but I think this was that was kind of how I felt about Hardcore Henry. I think. Okay. Oh yeah, well, I, whereas I just hated it. Whereas <laughs> yeah. You took something from it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, fair enough. No, that's all I've got to say on that. I've got I've got a, bit, a slightly lo- longer review later, but I'd want okay, to just cool. shoehorn that one in there. Sure, sounds good. Right, let's uh, move to Michael. I believe you're next. Okay, yeah. Um, another one that I'm going to talk about is. Um, Who's ready for ice cream? Or as my mum said, du- <laughs> there we go. Oh, is that the title of it? Yeah. That, that is, yeah. Um, as my notes said, W R F I C. Right. Okay. Oh, wow. That would so just the- if I wrote that my notes like that, the whole podcast would just be unlistenable. <laughs> just be me saying random letters. I should clarify. I only do that for the titles, not for every word I write. Oh, right. <laughs> Memorise sentences. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is a one-hour film from two thousand and three. Um, what it is basically is a Johnny Vegas stand-up film. Um, but I, I wouldn't usually, obviously, I wouldn't usually review a stand-up film uh, like I would a normal film here. Uh, but this one is a bit more unconventional. Um, it's. There are segments of stand-up in the film uh, interwoven with an actual storyline. Uh, it's directed by Stuart Lee, who I think is one of our collective favourites uh, here on the podcast. Um, and the premise uh, basically is that Vegas, since he's um, rose to fame, has become washed up. Um, he's no longer funny. And he is then uh, essentially kidnapped by a psychotic celebrity fixer and taken off to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival to try and um, find his, find, sort of return to his former glory. Um, and also kidnapped by a moronic ice cream man who is providing the sponsorship for his comeback. Um, an ice cream man called Angelo. Um, so, yeah, as I said, it's Angelo's Ices. Angelo's Creamy Ices, I believe. <laughs> uh, that's not quite as good. <laughs> 
But um, yeah, it's it's an unconventional stand-up film. Um, like I said, with stand-up woven throughout. Uh, but then this storyline, which I've noticed a lot of people um, criticising the storyline for being crap. But I think that's another yes, that's the joke moment. Um, I don't think it's meant to be amazing or anything like that. Um, I think that is the point. Um, ju- judging by some of the things I've I've read on the internet, this was apparently panned, which to me is quite amazing because I thought it was hilarious throughout for the full hour. Um, at the time of um, recording this, it had more one-star reviews on Amazon than uh, any other star. So I don't know if it's just... Um, I don't know if it's landed with the wrong audience. I'm not sure exactly what's happened, but I thought it was um, really good. Um, Vegas is... Um, after he's been kidnapped, he's marooned in a flat with another psychopath called Tony Kenner, who is ostensibly another stand-up comedian. Uh, he's played by someone called Tony Burgess. Um, as far as I'm aware, the other actors in this are random people who ended up in it. They're not really actors, as far as I'm aware. Um, which, to me, is quite amazing, because I would say the acting is sensational in a way. Um, they're not going to be nominated for Oscars, you know, but um, it, it's very immersive acting. Like, it's difficult to believe that these aren't real people at times, um, especially, as I, as I mentioned, the character of Tony Kenner. Um, yeah, so it's in that, in that sense, it's, um, I thought it was, quite, it was surprisingly strong. Um, there's a lot of hilarious dialogue about Vegas's fame and the nature of fame. I think he's a very misunderstood comedian from what I've seen of him. Um, I know you'll agree with this, Alex, because we've discussed yeah. it before. Um, his stuff is um, sort of revolves around a lot of um, tragedy, and as Vegas says himself in the film, uh, a lot of pathos and suffering. So it's not su- subtle in the sense that that's actually mentioned there by Vegas in the film, but he is a complex comedic character. Um, but on the other side, other than the dialogue-based comedy, there's a lot of slapstick violence... And a surprising amount of force feeding. Certainly the most I've ever seen in a comedy. Um, but it's it's kind of strange to think that this could be classed as comedy and so could um, songs from the second floor that I talked about earlier. Uh, but this, in comparison, is much more straightforward, uh, traditional, but no less funny for it. And the whole thing, all of the stand-up performances, um, there's two more brief sections earlier on. Uh, they're all brilliant, but basically the whole thing builds up to a climax of around a 15, 15 to 20 minute stand-up performance at the end of the film, which is uh, incredible stand-up, in my opinion, in a surreal, experimental vein. Uh, it has an amazing atmosphere to it. The camera work and all the stand-up is brilliant, which isn't a surprise given that Stuart Lee directs. Um, and the th- obviously, the things that have been done in sort of terms, of terms of filming stand-up on Stuart Lee's own material have really advanced things, I would say, for the art form. And even though, from what I understand, there's quite a limited availability of Johnny Vegas stand-up material out there, but even if this is all there was, I would say this is enough. That's how impressed I was by it. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a film that, even though, as I said, it was apparently received quite negatively, it's built up a cult following. Um, the DVD extras are excellent as well, and you can pick this up for 98 pence uh, on the internet at the moment, <laughs> so it's the type of DVD you frequently see in the uh, bargain DVD section at Aldi. Yeah, well, it deserves better than that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I would describe it as a redemptive hidden gem, which really captures the essence of Vegas's comedy persona. Bam! There's the box quote. 
Yeah. That, that's, that's, a, that's a better box quote if, than the ones we've used. So if that was on the box, it wouldn't be in well, the box. Posi- it's a more positive box quote, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen this, but I do like Johnny Vegas. And like you said, I think he's gravely misunderstood. I think you really like this. Yeah. In fact, I once heard him described by Will Self as the most intelligent and well-read man, man he'd ever met, which I don't think is the sort of um, portrayal people would expect of Vegas. Um <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I think when you're watching him, sometimes you don't know whether to laugh or to cry, but I think that's the point. <laughs> yeah, which, like I said, laced with pathos. Yeah. As, um, I heard recently, by coincidence, a, uh, I don't know if you listen to the Richard uh, Herring Leicester Square Theatre podcast, or Herr Leicester Per. Um, but there was, a, there was what I went back to listen to a, a, uh, an old one, which was with Johnny Vegas, and it's staggering it's so um it's a really moving interview in a lot of ways and he talks about how uh, johnny vegas talks about how he's come to the interview as himself not as johnny and how and in the interview almost resents and doesn't really doesn't like johnny who is the guy on stage which is and it's really quite fascinating um And I also saw, I saw Stuart Lee recently, um, well, I say recently, a couple of months ago, and he talked there about how he generally uh, scours the internet for his own DVDs um, so that he can sell them at his own, at his own <laughs> gigs for a markup again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the, yeah, you could probably make a whole industry out of British comedy DVDs in that respect, I think. Um, but yeah, certainly a, a fascinating comedic persona, Vegas, with apparently not a lot of um, output out there, really. Um, I think he did a t- TV show that um, he was in heavily, Ideal, but I've not seen it. Mm. Um, apparently quite highly rated as well, but I've never checked it out. I've heard of it, but never seen it, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'm intrigued by it, definitely. Like a bit of comedy. Again, yeah, I wasn't expecting that. Curveball. <laughs> yeah, again. Um, I believe we're down to our last film with Mr. Alex Wayne. Did you have another one, did you say? I did, yeah. Did they, they, you didn't have another one, Dave, no? Um, no, not really that I wanted to talk about in any uh, great detail, just that I saw... Um, uh, I recently saw Rear Window, which is currently out on, on Netflix. So if you've never... Uh, if you've heard a lot about Hitchcock and never really had a chance to get into him or anything like that, the Rear Window is uh, on Netflix now and it comes very highly recommended quite obviously doesn't need me to add anything to it another domestic cool. thriller you might say yeah very <laughs> much uh, girl on the train um before girl on the train <laughs> yeah right okay well the one i'm going to talk about is um film just out the other week i believe um one of the more maybe not controversial but one of the more talked about smaller releases of recent times uh swiss army man uh, directed by two directors, Daniel uh, Swinert and Daniel Kwan, who uh, just go by a single name as the director uh, during it. Uh, stars uh, Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe, and very, very briefly, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Um, this tells the tale of a suicidal man who at least appears to be on a desert island just before committing the act finds the body of uh, Daniel Radcliffe's character, uh, who he names as Manny. Um, 
he discovers that Manny has various uses and tools, and is thus, thus a Swiss Army man who can help him survive. Um, right. He first learns of Manny's uh, uses uh, by seeing that Manny can pr- propel himself in water by flatulence, um, which is basically the main controversy or talking point around this film. Daniel Radcliffe, Harry Potter playing a farting corpse. Um <laughs> So yeah, he rides Daniel Radcliffe like a jet ski to dry land, um, <laughs> um, and this film centres on the friendship that becomes between Paul Dano's character and this corpse, who naturally he starts imagining can talk and has various uses for him, such as um, using him as a weapon, uh, putting a spear into his down his throat and then Heimlicking him until he fires it out. Using him as a water retainer, um, wow. <laughs> various uses. Um, now this sounds absolutely surreal and ridiculous because it is. Um, it's probably one of the strangest cinema experiences I've ever had, uh, and I think I was in with a reasonably large audience for a nine o'clock showing on a Tuesday evening, and I think their reaction was one of bemusement, which I won't. I, I would say is partly my reaction, but um, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I know it's got a lot of one-star reviews out there. And there are quite a few other positive ones, but um, I really enjoyed this. Now, when the two directors were trying to sell this to Daniel, I think I've already told Michael this, trying to sell this to Daniel Radcliffe, they said, how on earth are we going to get Harry Potter to play a flatulent corpse? Um, They said to him, look, Dan, if we get this right, the first fart you hear in the film will make you laugh. The last fart will make you cry. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um... And I would actually, well, I w- I'm not an e- someone who easily cries at the cinema, and I didn't on this occasion. I could see how that might happen. It's despite obviously being, you know, in some respects, lowest common denominator comedy. Um, it's also a film with deep, um, deep thematic value. Certainly about mental health and uh, loneliness and expectations. The main character, Paul Dano, who Paul Dano plays, is a, a hermit basically who. Society's rejected, um, and I think it actually has something fairly important to say amidst all the fart gags and amidst all the massively surreal nature, and amidst all the creepiness, really, um, which is certainly evident. Um, <laughs> certainly, uh, none more so, by the way, in the fact that he uses Daniel Radcliffe's penis as a compass. Um, <laughs> It seems that if, whenever he puts a copy of Sports Illustrated in front of him, Daniel Radcliffe's character gets erect <laughs> to, the, to the direction of North. <laughs> so he, he manages to hang this magazine in front of him like a carrot, like you would like a with, in front of a donkey, um, to lead him back to safety. Um, yeah, one of the strange films I've seen in the cinema, and I often say this on the podcast, but I mean it every time. I think if you hate this, you're not necessarily wrong. Um, it's going to divide people but there's nothing else like it I don't think Um, and I think cinema is all the richer for people trying things like this Mm -hmm. whenever I'm trying these reviews I try and think of uh, other films it's like and there's nothing nothing out there Um, it's good natured it's surreal as I said I think thematically it has some important things to say and it is funny Um, yeah and Hats off to Daniel Radcliffe, by the way, for signing on for this, because I don't think he needs to do a film like this. I'm sure he's obscenely rich where he wouldn't have to work again, and I'm sure he could just select roles that, you know, were befitting of somebody who has been part of a multi-billion dollar franchise, but um, I respect his choices, and he is actually, 
you might think how can, how on earth can he have a good performance as a corpse, but he is really good in this. Um, <laughs> as is Dana. Yeah. Cool. Recommended from me. Although, like I said, don't blame me if you hate it and think, "What the fuck was he on about?" <laughs> I, I don't think I would hate this. It sounds amazing. I can't wait. I can't wait to see it. To be honest, <laughs> it sounds. I had no idea what it was about. So yeah, it sounds completely different to what I was expecting. But yeah, <laughs> definitely want to see it. Yeah, like I said, it's been hated by a lot of people, but also respected by a lot of others. So we'll see. Didn't you also recently tell me that Dano has the highest IMDb average of any actor in the last, what was it, 15 years or so? Yes, I can't remember the exact time frame, but when you take all of his work and bring out the average score, his is the highest out of everybody. Random fact. Yeah. Interesting fact, indeed. Yeah, he, he's another actor who seems to always pick good choices. Uh, he did that Beach Boys film that you reviewed, Clive, didn't he? Um, he Beach Boys? Oh, right, yes. He played Brian Wilson. Yeah, Brian yeah, Wilson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, with you. I was thinking of, like, people on the beach. I was, like, confused. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he did. He did. <laughs> and to think that, like, I mean, probably his most famous role is still There Will Be Blood. And to think he didn't actually, wasn't actually originally cast in that role. The actor who was cast um, hated Daniel Day-Lewis so much for staying in character that he quit. Paul Dana, <laughs> yeah. was, o- Paul Dana was only supposed to play his brother. So they made them twins instead and had Dano play both. Interesting. Uh, thank God they did, because he's superb in it. Yes, he's superb in everything. He's yeah, really he's good always been good in stuff I've well. seen. He's very distinctive yeah. as well. Mm. Had you heard of this film before this? I mean, had you seen the furore about a farting corpse? No, I mean, I hadn't. I'd literally heard of that there was a film out called Swiss Army Man, and I had no idea what it was about. I just sort of thought it might actually be about a Swiss Army Man. <laughs> apparently it's not so slightly disappointed on that front but it does sound very good <laughs> mind you a Swiss army man would be pretty boring because it's just, I was gonna say, just what, a guy just not going fighting in, a war go, going, yeah, going into a conflict and going I have no policy here <laughs> <laughs> it would just be a man going through 17 weeks of training and then not touching his gun again probably <laughs> I'm pleased to see that um that the Guardian describes this as staggeringly puerile, which is enough to make you want to see it <laughs> alone. That's a box quote right there. Brilliant. Um, we're we're gonna we're not gonna do film of the month this week because too many people have not seen it, so we're not gonna name any names. I am one of them, although I have seen it before, so I didn't get a chance to watch it again. So we're gonna do that next month. So we're oh, not gonna have to God. pick another film of the month. But yeah, poor effort, guys. Sort it out. Yeah, the film of the month for those, if you know, just in case the listeners haven't watched it yet, either is Before Sunrise, I believe, the first of yeah, the Sunrise, Before yeah. trilogy. Yeah. Excellent film. Excellent Go film. watch it. So, if it wasn't the first one, that'd be pretty awkward, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah be quite would be, yeah. have to watch all. We have the first one, but you have to watch the last scene first. <laughs> <laughs> you have to watch it backwards. We're going to review it how, how well it plays backwards. Probably not that well. Um, so yeah, we, we've we've been stick around. You've been yeah. listeners. Thanks. Oh, Clive. Um, yeah. Sorry. Ooh. I think some point during this recording, my watch has stopped. Um, oh. Got a time. Um, hang on. Let me just see if my Swiss watch is actually not Swiss. It's Ca- where's Casio from? <laughs> not exactly Rolex, is it? Sweden. <laughs> Japan. I think. Uh, Sweden. Wait. That'd be. <laughs> I do have a Swiss copy watch from Thailand, like I said, but I'd never wear it because it looks too expensive. I'd like it to advertise that it's from Thailand and not 
Switzerland and then I'd feel better about wearing it. But it looks too real. I don't want to look like a dick. Anyway, right, um, let me just check my watch then. <laughs> oh, hang on. It's plug time. Good job you mentioned it, Dave. Uh, right. not I wish I had cast. www.stickaroundpodcast.com or the website at stick stickaroundpodcast at gmail.com if you want to send us emails and ask us questions we'll read them out slash stickaroundpodcast on Instagram slash stickaround on Patreon if you want to throw money our way help pay for the £8 it's probably gone up now hasn't it it's probably more like £9.50 internet costs since Theresa May decided to make a speech and ruin everything Um, yes cheers May (laughs) yeah but your donations in dollars to Patreon Will be better value. Yes. So our American yeah, audience. If you, if you yeah, this is your American chance to listeners. step up. <laughs> 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 this is your chance to step up and help a podcast in crisis. Um, yeah. Please help us pay for the. This is probably ten dollars. I don't know how much it is in dollars. Uh, hosting costs. Any any contribution would be much appreciated. Um, have I mentioned? I've, I think I've mentioned everything. There's definitely something I've forgotten, but it's probably not crucial. If you want to subscribe via email, you can do that on the website, stickaroundpodcast.com. If you want to subscribe on a podcast app, just search for Stick Around. You've probably already done that, but if you haven't, <laughs> do it. Join <laughs> the craze. Um, give us five-star reviews on iTunes. We love those. Apparently, they make yes, us more sir. searchable. I don't know how that works, but apparently that's the case. And I love being searchable on iTunes. That excites me. A quick update on uh, Stick Around HQ. Um, obviously, first of all, welcome back, Michael. Nice to have you back from your libertarian. Oh yeah, plastic, plastic bag. bag. Um, how uh, did that go, Michael? I, I was literally I was in Greg's yesterday morning, and someone <laughs> and uh, a guy there bought himself some sandwiches and a slice of something or other, and then uh, finished paying and was just walking out shopping. He went, "You got a bag, mate?" And the guy went, "Oh, that's be five p." And he went, "That's a fucking rip off." Like, he's not <laughs> been on the planet for the last two years. It's incredible. Probably just haven't like, noticed that they've been adding it to his charge. To have, and the first thing he wanted to do was have a Greg sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not even a rip-off, is it, really? <laughs> well, you've changed your tune. <laughs> last week you were brandishing a placard naked outside of the British Virgin Island <laughs> government. I don't remember doing these things. It is 15p, though, over he's, there. He's Boris Johnson's on the, um, on the plastic bag tax. <laughs> oh yeah, guilty. Yeah. Um, another note as well. Um, I've finally signed the papers. We are moving the HQ. Um, right too. Th- thanks, thanks to Brexit, it's no longer economically viable uh, for us to stay there. Don't ask why. Technical. Stuff. Also, in- investigations um, on tax havens have increased, which has not helped. Yeah. No, we are going to another tax haven. Uh, we're going to your home country, Clive. Yes. Um, I've rented out that. Swiss bunker lined with Jewish, <laughs> stolen Jewish gold. Uh, we're going to be broadcasting direct from a horrible, horrible example of national history. Um, yeah, and evading so, tax for the foreseeable future. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> I mean, as, we, as we've mentioned before, we've no need to go to these lengths because we still haven't hit the, you know, £11,000 margin where we actually need to pay any tax but we do like to <laughs> but yeah we're actually avoid better it. to be prepared <laughs> isn't it, <laughs> yeah. it I feel like is. recording in a in a room lined with gold might um, reduce <laughs> Skype call quality 
<laughs> Just on a very technical point. Yeah, well, we'll cross I mean, the last time it happened, the quality wasn't great. So if that's anything yeah. to go by, yeah. Probably not going to be amazing, the, but we will be, the, we the will last be safe. Time we recorded in a room full of stolen Swiss gold, or stolen <laughs> Jewish gold. Yeah, the last time. But we will be safe when uh, if anyone drops any bombs or, you know, Russians or Trump or whoever else, you never know. Same Teresa. difference. Anyone could drop a bomb. So, yeah, uh, we, we've been stick around. Um, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Alex Wayne. Yeah, he's gone. His <laughs> <laughs> internet died. That is brilliant timing. Uh, I was going to say it's goodbye for Michael, but he'll have the same response. Uh, goodbye. <laughs> A lu- many lubricious goodbyes. That was Michael there. Uh, thanks, Michael. Yeah, lubricious goodbyes to you too. And uh, goodbye, <laughs> Mr. Peeling. Goodbye. Stick around. Stick around. Thank you all for listening Rest assured that you have found The best podcast in the universe Free ball! It's Stick Around (laughs) You're not here, Al. Your audacity's not working. You're not here.